In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. It's, it's become my tradition during this, this Easter season, these great 50 days, which started on, on April 1st, um, to, to share a little bit of, about the custom of the bishop visiting a church and about the custom of the bishop, um, some of the things that I carry with me or wear. Um, because of Good Shepherd Sunday a few weeks ago, I'm focusing in on the crozier for today. If I'd known Rihanna was gonna wear a miter to the Grammys or whatever that was a couple weeks ago, I might have done different research. Um, but, but for today, um, I wanna explain why it is that the bishop carries a crozier. Um, this particular crozier is, uh, was given in, in Thanksgiving for the ministry of, of the Right Reverend John Maury Allen. It uh, stays here at the cathedral and, and is a symbol of the jurisdiction of the bishop. I have another one, a wooden one, that goes in the back of my car that goes to most other churches, but this one stays here. And, and you'll notice that the bishop, uh, it's, it's sometimes called a pastoral staff. Proper name is a crozier. Um, and it is made like this intentionally because it's meant to symbolize the, uh, the ministry of the bishop as the shepherd of the flock. Okay, so this is thing is supposed to be able to use to pull those who are straying away from the flock back in. Now, likewise, that symbolism is important, but there's other symbolism. Um, see this pointy end here? Uh, that's not so it fits in a stand better. That is intentional. Um, to prod, to literally to prod those who are going spiritually astray or to goad them onward in their spiritual laziness. Symbolic of my role as the shepherd of the flock. Now, likewise, the crozier is carried in processions like this because uh, it represents jurisdiction and represents that I am the Bishop of Mississippi, and I have jurisdiction in the Episcopal churches within Mississippi. So if you remember, in January of 2015, when, when Bishop Gray officially retired, and if you remember, we had an investiture at the uh, convention center over here as we closed council, and that was, investiture was also known as the passing of the crozier, and that was intentional in its, in its calling because it is, because it's meant to represent one bishop passing on responsibility and authority to the next bishop. So if you remember within that service, as we processed in, Bishop Gray was carrying this crozier and walking in the back of the procession. And during that service, he passed this crozier onto me. And as we processed out, he walked in front of me and I took the place in the back of the procession as the one who now has authority or responsibility. Um, and jurisdiction within the Episcopal churches in Mississippi. Um, so that should bring up a question for y'all. If, if, you've, if you've done your sacramental homework, um, well, Bishop, what happens if you're invited to be a part of a service in another diocese other than one that you have jurisdiction within? So for example, if Bishop Thompson um, called and said, Brian, why don't you come down to New Orleans or Slidell and help me out with some confirmations and ordinations, something like that? It's a good question. Um, would, I, would I carry the, the, the pastoral staff, the, the crozier? No, I wouldn't. 
I would still have full sacramental authority and rights to, to, upon his uh, invitation to do so, but I wouldn't carry this because if I walked into Christchurch and Slidell or something like that with a, the crozier in hand, it, it might symbolize a hostile takeover or something <laughs> like that. So, so anyhow, there's a little bit of trivia, history, a little bit about Christ the Good Shepherd and the apostolic ministry that I share and that all of us share with our Lord and Savior. We're, we're at a great time of year, and I'm not just speaking about the fact that it's nice outside. We're at a great time of year within our liturgical calendar as well because we're coming to the end of the great 50 days of Easter, and these great 50 days are such an important reminder for us as we walk through the liturgical experience of knowing, knowing that Jesus conquered death on Easter and knowing that the stone was rolled back, the tomb was empty, and he was out, and he was alive, and he was in the world, and he was making himself known to people and reminding people about the many, many ways that we experience new life in our ministry, in our missions, and in just how we carry ourselves, and how we conduct ourselves, and how we celebrate the presence of Christ in our lives. He was out, and he was amongst us. And this story is told through us throughout the great 50 days of Easter, the, that, that celebration that started on April 1st. And we heard from Acts of the Apostles the development of the early church. We heard within the gospel some of how Jesus continued to be known in the breaking of the bread and in, and in the apostolic teaching and in the many ways that his friends were rallied when they knew that he was still alive, knew that he had conquered death, knew that this, this, this prophet who they had come to love and live with for the last three years was still alive and was still in their lives and had given them new hope and new life. We come to find that through the experience of Easter. But we also come to another reality within Easter, within these great 50 days, namely that he's going to do what we just celebrated on Thursday, which is ascend to the right hand of the Father. Okay? We know that that is where he's eventually going to end up. And it's kind of heartbreaking in a way. And if you can think about that first century of disciples as they were coming to grips, first of all, with the man that they loved and they'd grown to love and they, they followed and seen healed and do miracles and just incredible things. They'd already come to grips with his death, got into the yay for he conquered death, but then all of a sudden to see him taken away from them again had to be a heartbreaking moment. So in this gospel lesson, we are hearing him say goodbye. We're hearing him say goodbye. And we're also hearing him pray. Pray for those friends he was leaving behind. Pray for them that God deliver them a comforter. Give them something to continue to encourage them, to continue to, to stimulate their faith, continue to raise them up to do the great things that they are called to do. Jesus is saying goodbye 
to his friends. Hence the name of these chapters in John's Gospel, chapter 14 through 17, known as the farewell discourse, or Jesus' priestly prayer, because he's offering this up, this precious prayer for his friends, and this, frankly, really emotional and, and wonderful goodbye, a goodbye that should speak to all of us, because he is, in fact, praying for that first generation of disciples but we're not left out of the equation. We're not left out of the equation because what he's asking for is that the Holy Spirit descend upon them as well. He's asking that the Holy Spirit not leave them alone. He's saying, God, send them a comforter. Send them a comforter. A comforter to remind them to, dare I say, continue to be the Jesus movement. Continue to share the love. Continue to send the message. Within John's Gospel, and this is something I hope makes this even, gives a better description for you all, just how emotional that moment had to have been. It happens within John's Gospel right between the Last Supper and the crucifixion, okay? So it's a little out of context for the season, but within that you can see how emotional that experience had to have been for God's people as they were coming to grips with saying goodbye. It, it, it reminds me, and I've used this analogy before, it reminds me of Winnie the Pooh. When, when Pooh says, aren't we lucky to have known someone that makes saying goodbye so hard? That's what it is. It's that moment of saying goodbye and just the anxiety that comes with the moment. That, that horrible and difficult part of saying goodbye. But friends, the story continues. And the story continues through our ministry and through our presence and through our way of life. The story continues as we continue to write, dare I say, the next chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. As we continue to write the next story of how God's ministry is practiced in the world. As we continue to write how it is that we are called to serve. Today, there is great joy in heaven. There is great joy in heaven as we celebrate baptisms, confirmation, reception, and reaffirmation. There is great joy in heaven as we give thanks for how God calls God's people to ministry in his name and how God does what God can do through the body of Christ. And we are that body the confirmations that we will celebrate today are a mature public affirmation of faith. I like to call it a lay ordination. It's ordination and holy orders bestowed upon the first order of ministry, the laity, as they are sent to do God's work in the world. And they confirm, they confirm the baptismal promises that were made on their behalf years and years earlier. They say, yes, Lord, I will. I will follow in the apostles' teaching and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in the prayers. I will strive for justice and peace among all people and respect the dignity of every human being. Yes, Lord, I will. I will practice in this holy tradition, and I will take my part as the body of Christ. And our baptismal candidates remind us of just how precious 
the gift of raising up young people in the faith and the life is. And what an important gift it is. They remind us of our own baptismal promises as we join them, or more specifically, their godparents and their parents in saying, yes, Lord, we will. Yes, Lord, we will. And it is intentional for us to be reminded of our baptism. It is intentional for us to be reminded of the holy water that was sprinkled on us all those years ago, or if we come from an evangelical tradition, the holy dunking that we got all those years ago. It is intentional for us to be reminded that we go from this place out into the world carrying the Spirit and the love of our Lord with us. Friends, we are called to be the Jesus movement. We are called to make his love known to the world at large. We're called to deal with all the messiness that comes with it. We're called to deal with the chaos that often comes with it. We're called to deal with the ups and downs and the difficulties that comes with it. We're called to deal with our own, our own frustrations, our own anxiety, our own issues. But here's the good news. Christ died for us. And when Christ got ready to leave his friends, what did he do? He prayed. He prayed for them, each and every one of them. And those prayers meet us today. Last thing before we move on to the excitement of baptism. I get tons of emails. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure y'all, some of y'all get lots of emails. I get tons of them. So much so that a lot of times I take myself off of distribution lists. There's, there's, there's one distribution list, though, that I, I, I can't take myself off of because when I look at it, I see my name on the prayer list right, right at the top. It's from a church that I used to serve years and years ago. And it says, pray for our Bishop Brian. It's nice to know that folks are praying for you. It's nice to be reminded of that fact. And even in the midst of our anxiety, in the moments when we feel that we're not meeting up, it's good to know that we're being prayed for. Jesus prayed for those first disciples, and he still prays for us today. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.